Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. So over the last couple months, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and throughout the book, there's been one continuous and driving theme, and that's the truth that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than everything we pursue in life. All the things we try to use to fill our, our voids and, and find the joy in life that God didn't give us, Jesus is better than all of that. Jesus, Hebrews tells us, is the anchor for our faith that we need to grow and stay faithful to God during difficult times. Of course, the people that the writer is addressing in the book of Hebrews, they are, they're dealing with some doubt. And if we're honest with ourselves, every one of us here in our walk with God have had times of doubt. Maybe you've doubted your salvation. Maybe you've doubted that God was even listening to your prayers. Maybe you doubted if God even existed. Maybe you doubted if, if this whole Christianity thing was right or worth it or if we were on the right track. And so that's exactly what these Hebrew believers are dealing with. They're, they're struggling with doubt in their faith, and uh, their faith has become hard for them. Persecution has become real. Uh, they're, they're struggling. <clears throat> the, the persecution has become severe. The temptations are there. Many theologians believe that the book of Hebrews was one, of course, we know it was one long letter. It was not written up, broken up into chapters like we see here, but it was written as a sermon that was to be preached in one sitting. And y'all think I preach long. So this is a, a sermon. So when we come to chapter number 12, the preacher is wrapping up. He's kind of concluding everything he said. He's trying to drive home some points and give some, some application points for what he said earlier. And that's where we begin to see in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse number 15. <coughs> the Bible says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any, be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto, mount, unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, <coughs> which voice they that heard and treated that the that word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through a dart. And so terrible was that sight that Moses said, "I exceedingly fear." And quake, but ye are come up unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
and an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and to the church, the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God of the judge of all, and to the spirits of, of just of uh, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven whose voice then shook the earth. <clears throat> but now he hath promised, saying, Yet one more I will shake the earth only. Yet once more I will shake the earth only. Not shake the earth. Ah. Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. I was way off on my notes there. Amen? Good thing I read these verses. All right. Now, this is a <coughs> kind of the author, the writer, wrapping up what he's been saying for the last 12 chapters. In verse 22, he gives the imagery of searching for a city of searching for a kingdom. And it's an, it's an image that the writer uses frequently throughout the last couple chapters of Hebrews. It is a metaphor for what we are doing with our lives. Of course, during this time, a city represented a place of safety. Cities were, were large places with, with walls around them to protect them, to keep the inhabitants safe, to keep the enemies out. And so... Oftentimes, if a nation was invaded, the people who were in the suburbs or the outskirts of the city, they would flee to the city. They would shut the doors and everyone would be safe inside. As long as they had food and water to last a while, they would be fine. And so a city represented a place of safety. It represented a place of permanence. It represented a place of security, a place of prosperity. Now, the the Christian Jews that are receiving this message, they, of course, weren't there, but they remember the teaching about how the Jews in the Old Testament were nomads. They remember the times that the Jews had no home. They had no city. They had no security. They had no safety. They had no permanence. They left Egypt for a promised land, for a city that would belong to them, a place where they could settle down and they could raise their kids in peace. And throughout the Old Testament, all their hopes centered around this place, this city called Jerusalem, which literally means the city of peace. So the writer says that all of us are searching for a city like that. Now, not a literal city. We're all searching for something to give us safety. We're all searching for something to give us security. We're all searching for something of permanence that we can wrap our hands around and, and have, have stability there. We are all looking to find a place of peace. And so the writer, he does three things in this chapter. He asks us to consider what our city is. What are we putting our security in? What are we finding our joy in? What are we finding our security in. 
Then he shows us the results of having Jesus as our city and warns us about things that can destroy your city. So first of all, he says, is your city shakable? What is your primary source of permanence? What's your, what do you find security in? Is it your home because it's paid off? Is it a relationship with a spouse? Is it, is it a job because that job gives you the money you need to, to pay your bills and prepare for the future? And so your security is in that. Your security is in your health. Your security is in your children. What do we find our primary source of security? And these are the, the most fundamental questions that we have to answer in life because all of us have things in our life that we have chosen to pursue that we think will make us happy, that we think will bring us joy, that we think will give us security, whether it's getting a job or, or getting a degree so we can get that job or having a good marriage or, or having healthy children or having enough money in the bank. And too many of us, we're, they're dissatisfied. Too many people are dissatisfied with their marriage because when they got married, they got married expecting that marriage to fulfill something to give them security, to give them stability, to give them an identity, and that marriage didn't meet up to their expectations, so they, they don't find their security there, they don't find their safety there, so they want to flee because it's not what they thought it should be. The invitation of, the he, of Hebrews is to make God your primary source of security, to make God your primary source of identity, to make God your primary source of fulfillment. God needs to be the foundation of your city so that in him we have peace, we have permanent permanence, and we have the fulfillment that we seek. And God gives us two warnings in these verses. Look at verse number 26, <clears throat> the one I struggled with. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. There, there are two things, you, two ways you can shake things. You can shake things to, to make them more exciting, like taking a Coke bottle and shaking it up real good and handing it to your kid outside, not in your car. Watch them open it. And psh, man, it's exciting. Then you can shake things up to destroy them, like an earthquake, where the earth shakes and the foundations and buildings fall and, and destruction is around. And every, the, everything that doesn't have a solid foundation falls apart. And there are things that God is doing in our lives to shake us this way. He says, I've shaken the earth before. I'll shake it again, but also shake heaven. He is telling us, I'm going to shake up your life to reveal to you the weak foundations that you're standing on to threaten or destroy our foundation. Maybe you lose your job and it shakes your foundation. Maybe you go to the doctor and get bad news and it shakes your foundation. Maybe your kids run away or break your heart or do something and it, it shakes your foundation. And God is saying he's going to shake our foundations to show us where our foundations are. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story about a, a rich man, a man who he really had nothing to worry about. His, his barns were full. His crop was good. His biggest complaint was, I don't have big enough barns to hold all my stuff. So he said, I'm going to tear down my old barns. I'm going to build new barns. I'm going to stuff them full. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. He said, I'm going to find my safety and my security 
in my money, in my stuff, in my prestige, in my position. And Jesus tells him, says, you're a fool. Because you're putting all your safety and security in this, but tonight your soul will be required of it. He goes, tonight you're going to die. That's the ultimate shaking of life. Death shakes everything. So he says, tonight you're going to die, and all that stuff you were building your life on, it's not going with you. It's not going to matter. It's a weak foundation. So Jesus tells him, you're fool, the only thing that matters is what none of these things that you're putting your, your strength in and your security in, none of those will save you. When you stand before God, none of the things that you pursued for peace and security and safety will be there with you except God. God is shaking the earth and everything not built upon him as a foundation will fall away. But then he gives a second warning in, chapter, in verse number 29. It says, For our God is a consuming fire. This is a common image of God throughout the scripture. The Bible uses it, use it to predict God burning away all unclean things, all impure things, the way you would purify gold in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work, what sort it is. That's a sobering reality. You know, I've heard, I've heard people, usually it's, it's, I've heard people say it, I've heard old preachers say it, that one day you'll stand before God and they'll show a slideshow of your life and you'll have to answer God for every sin you've committed. Look, if you're saved, that's not going to happen. God's already dealt with all your sin. If you're saved, when you stand before God, he doesn't judge you for your sin because he's already judged your sin. So he's not going to replay all the things you did to mess up throughout life and you're going to be embarrassed because your mama sees all the things you wrote about her when you were a teenager. That's not going to happen. Cassie's like, whew, praise the Lord. But we will be judged for God for the work we do for God. And not if it's enough what our motives are. If our motives is to honor God and glorify God and bring praise and honor to God, then our, our, our works, our gold, silver, and precious stone, they come to the fire pure. But if our motives, if the, the, why we do the things we do are so that people praise us, so that people think how awesome we are, so that we find security because people think, aren't they a great Christian? And that's wood, hay, and stubble, and it, it burns up, and we have nothing to show for it. So every motive, every action will be judged by God. Was it done to honor and glorify God, or was it done for selfish motives? There's a phrase that a preacher used to say, only one life soon will be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. On the final day, the final day of judgment is the most important one in all of eternity for us. And are, are we ready for that? Is our foundation built on God, or is our foundation built on these things that, that can't sustain that won't last. God is shaking some of us now. We may, we may not understand why God is shaking us, but whenever God shakes us, he shakes us out of mercy because he is trying to wake you up. He is trying to tell you your life is built on a faulty foundation and God wants you to realize that and fix that before it's too late. Maybe you're having trouble in your marriage or your kids are breaking your heart or your finances are a mess. It is God shaking you and he's doing it out of mercy because you have weak foundations. God is shaking them to show them the only foundation that will survive the final shaking 
and the consuming fire is a foundation of Jesus Christ. So he says, is your city shakable? Then he asks, then he tells us Jesus is a better city. Look at verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, <coughs> to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And so in the middle of this, this passage, it almost seems like the writer goes off on a tangent. He talks about Moses and a smoking mountain. He's showing why Jesus is the only true, real, lasting city. Of course, when he's talking about Moses, he's talking about Israel had been called to the promised land. They were searching for a city. They were searching for a place of permanence and prosperity. So they, they leave Egypt, and they're going through the wilderness, and they come to Mount, Mount Sinai. And this mountain was consumed with fire and smoke and darkness and thunder and lightning because the presence of God was there. See, when you think of the presence of God, we think of this beautiful white light. You know, people go into the light and it's just, it's peace. The presence of God was on Mount Sinai and it was so awesome, awe-inspiring. The Bible says Moses was scared. Moses, who talked out of a burning bush, said, I ain't going up there. That's scary. The presence of God is frightening. God tells them to set up a perimeter around the mountain, and he warns them if any person or any animal touches the mountain, they'll be killed. They'll die instantly. You're so scary, Moses is terrified. And the message was clear. Sinful people cannot be in the presence of a holy God. If we even touched God's holiness as sinful people, we'd be killed. And this image comes up several times in the Old Testament. Of course, the, we see it when they, when they built the ark and they couldn't even touch the ark. And I remember David, he goes and he recovers the ark and he's bringing the ark back. And, of course, the ark starts to shake. And a, a good man who wanted to save the ark goes up and touches it to push it back on the cart. And God kills him dead. Why? Because he was sinful and he touched a holy God. Sinful people can't be in the presence of God. So how do we find permanence and joy and fulfillment that only comes from knowing God and living in his land if we're too sinful to even be in his presence? See, Israel, they lived in a state of fear. What if they weren't good enough? What if he isn't pleased enough? What if I've not done enough for him? I mean, every year when the priest would go into the temple... He always had a little fear in his heart. I've done everything right. I've cleansed myself. I've purified myself. I've, I've gone through the ritual, but what if it wasn't enough? What if I missed a step? What if I missed a spot and I'm not pure enough and God kills me? So he lives in a state of fear. So what we end up searching for, what we end up searching for most and what we end up pursuing most is what we think will give us ultimate satisfaction and security. And we are looking for security that can be snatched away. We are looking for pleasure that fully satisfies. And as we pursue things that represent the ultimate satisfaction to us, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a paycheck, maybe it's a, a, a house to live in, maybe it's a, a spouse to have, as we search for these things, we, 
we face the same questions. What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't get the job? What if I fail? What if I don't make the grade? What if I get sick? What if? Jesus, the writer tells us, is a better city. He is a sure city because as a child of God, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about those things anymore. Because we don't have to worry, am I good enough? Because, hey, the answer is no. But he is. He's good enough, and he died for us. And so the writer says he's a better city. In verse 22 it says, But you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Then look at verse 24, and to Jesus. He says, you're coming to a better city because you're coming to Jesus. Jesus gives us what we look for in every other place. He gives us safety. He gives us security. He gives us joy. He gives us a sense of belonging. He is a better city and a foundation that cannot be destroyed. So if we don't have Jesus as our city, third thing we want to see is what can destroy your city. In these verses, he warns us against several things that can erode your faith, that can shake the foundation of your faith. And they, they seem like pretty mundane things, and that's significant because most of us, the danger to our faith is not some major cataclysmic event. It's not some big thing that's going to happen that we say, well, my faith is shaken to its very core. But our faith is eaten away little by little by little. It's like a foundation of a house. It doesn't fall in one great day. It takes years of water getting under there and eroding the foundation and weakening the foundation and taking it like termites eat your house. Termites don't get in your house today and it's gone tomorrow. It takes years of eating the wood until... They weaken it enough that suddenly someone hands you a bill for $15,000. Why? Because 10 years ago, termites got in. And so it's not the big things that we usually have to worry about. It's the little, everyday, small things that eat away our faith. So what does he warn us that can destroy our faith? Number one, he says, the first thing that can destroy our faith is found in verse number 14. It says, follow peace with all men. What can destroy your faith? Division. Division can destroy your faith. Division in the church? Sure. Division in the family? Division in a marriage? Division between you and God? Division and strife make you forget that Christ is your city. Why? Because your pride takes over. And when there's division, your pride kicks in. And your pride wants to defend the city you really care about. So when he says to follow peace, it means that we are first to offer forgiveness, even if we are the ones who have been wronged. That's where we, we have trouble. Where somebody hurts us, someone offends us, someone wrongs us, and I'm supposed to forgive them before they even ask? Yeah. Because Christ did it for us. And if we harbor those feelings, it causes division that will eat away at that foundation. It, it means to take the towel like Christ did when he's up in the upper room with his disciples and wash the feet of the disciples, wash the feet of those who have conflict with you. It means to serve your enemies and love your enemies and seek their blessing. So when you do that, you renew your commitment to Christ as your city and you take the focus off of what your city used to be, which is usually, we can name all these things, but usually the city that you 
found the most safety and security in was you. So it takes the focus off of you and puts the focus on Christ. So he says, uh, division, then he continues in verse number 14. Follow peace with all men and, and so he's continuing to follow, follow peace with all men and holiness, <coughs> without which no man shall see the Lord. Here, holiness here means purity. It's the opposite of worldliness. Worldliness is the opposite of holiness. It's when your, your mind, worldliness or impurity, is when your mind is consumed with impure things. Now, of course, we can consider that pornography or lust or all those things, but it's also worldly things. And now, of course, in Christian circles, people use that word worldly things for a broad array of things. Don't look at worldly things. Don't go to worldly movies. Worldly things are things that take your focus off of God. And look, it can. Some of us, our, our focus is we can't walk with God. We can't focus on God because we're too busy binging down on Netflix. Look, I'm, I'm talking, and sometimes I find, man, I, I didn't have time to read my Bible today. I watched, you know, 14 seasons of this show, but I couldn't read my Bible. Had to binge watch something all day. And so we, we put our focus on worldly things. And so the writer here, he tells us to pursue holiness. We have to make conscious decisions to pursue God, to read our Bible, to pray, to spend time with Him, to listen to sermons and podcasts. Look, today's day and age, it is so easy to put into to put in the podcast. Look, read good books. Well, preacher, I don't like to read. Well, learn to like to read. Or here's a good thing. There's a wonderful invention out there. It's called Audible. Put in a book, put in your earbuds, 45 minutes while you're driving to work, you can listen to a lot of good books. Good Christian books, some good fiction books. No horror or anything like that. But you can listen to some things that stir your soul, that help you pursue God. Because he tells us if we're not pursuing purity, we can't see God. Look, here's the simple truth. If you're not pursuing purity, by default, you're going to pursue worldliness. By default, if you're not filling yourself with things of God, you're going to fill yourself with something. That's just the way we are. You can't say, well, I'm not going to fill myself with things of God, but I won't fill it with anything. No, you won't. You're going to, you're going to fill your soul, you're going to fill your mind, you're going to fill your heart with something. And when your mind is saturated with the world, it is dulled to the purity and the things of God. Your ability to see God, your ability to grow your faith is inhibited if we're pursuing uh, worldly things. The word pursue literally means to persecute or to hunt it down. Growing in holiness, is, it's an uphill climb. It's like riding a bike. You quit pedaling and you're going to go backwards. But you have to pursue holiness. You have to discipline yourself to read your Bible. You have to discipline yourself to memorize scripture. You have to discipline yourself to listen to good podcasts. You have to discipline yourself to read good books. You have to discipline yourself to pursue holiness. It takes, it takes accountability where you confess your sins. Holiness means actively fighting against worldliness. So what will destroy your foundation? Division. Worldliness. The third thing he says will destroy our foundation is bitterness. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The, the phrase root of bitterness, it's a quote from an Old Testament passage that was warning the children of Israel about not letting idolatry grow among them. God warned that idolatry and bitterness 
were like a poisonous weed that will infiltrate their garden and destroy everything in it. Now, there are a lot of people who will miss the grace of God because they're distracted by bitterness and they're distracted by idolatry. And bitterness is when you let someone or something have more control over you than God. That's what it boils down to. It's not a, well, I can't forgive this guy. It is, I'm allowing this person, I'm allowing this event, I'm allowing this thing to control my emotions and control how I feel and control my security instead of allowing God to do it. Bitterness is subtle, but it's very serious. The Bible says it keeps people from grabbing hold of the grace of God. It is choking you. And here, look at verse 15 again. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. When your city falls, you're not the only one that gets hurt by it. Your kids, your family, those around you, it's choking you, and it's spreading to others. Last thing that will destroy our city, it's not just division, not just worldliness, not just bitterness, but inattention. Look at verse number 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape who refuse, who not, if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall they not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. This the Bible is saying this is God speaking to us. He's saying the last thing that'll destroy your city is ignoring all the warnings God has given you. Is ignoring God when He comes and shakes the foundation. Of your faith. He says, Think about being there at that mountain that day where God's voice booms out from heaven, and you say, Yeah, God, yeah, we, we understand it, and it's you. When God is speaking like that and booming down like that, could you ignore it? Of course we couldn't. But we ignore God now. God still speaks to us through His Word. God still speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. God still speaks to us through the preaching of the Word. And too often we hear it, we hear God speaking, and we say, eh, That doesn't apply to me. That means that's for so-and-so. You know, I love it when I'll, I'll, I'll preach a sermon and, you know, I never think I do a good job, but sometimes I think, well, that wasn't terrible. People come up to me and say, preach, that was great. I wish so-and-so would have heard that. Well, I wish you would have heard that. We need to listen when God speaks to us. If God's voice speaks to us from the mountain, we had better pay attention. Here's what the author is saying as he begins to wrap up the book of Hebrews. God is speaking to every one of us. God is shaking our foundations to show us where they're weak. We need to pay attention to what God is doing in our lives, pay attention to the foundations we have that aren't formed on Him, and make sure our safety, our security, our identity, make sure that God is our city.